Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm delighted now to be joined by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe Devine. Hi there, how are you? I'm very well. I've overeaten. I'm tired. I feel full, lethargic, sluggish. Sure. One more, one more, one more podcast. It was a big day of football, wasn't sure it? Was. JJ Bull the Bullard. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. I didn't really enjoy it today. <laughs> I had a great time watching all the football, and uh, just yeah, good goals, good time had by all. It really was. It was a really good time had by me <laughs> and by everyone else that was here. We loved the game. Do you know what I loved about it most? Um, the goals. It was the jeopardy. It oh. was. It was the apparently, according to the TV commentary, Portugal's position. Was every one of one to four in that group during oh, uh, the game? The game process, the game state there this evening. Oh, you can't ask for more stakes than that, unless you're at an outback steakhouse. I think you can ask for as many as you want. They've got a kitchen full, haven't they? But other than that, outside of the steakhouse, it's the Euros. You know where else you can get uh, loads of good stuff in a row? It's The Athletic. Uh, if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO football, I guarantee you, you will find some of the best writing about football and indeed other sports on the internet from writers such as Rafa Honigsteiner, James uh, McNicholas, James Horncastle, David Ornstein. The list is almost never-ending of uh, fantastic writers. And you can get a third 30-day free trial if you try The Athletic out now by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. But enough of this. Now we're going to get into the meat of today's episode. We're going to be talking about uh, France, Portugal, Germany, Hungary, Spain, uh, Sweden, Poland, and Slovakia. And also what happens next in the round of 16, because we now know who's going to face who in the knockout stages. And that's very exciting because there are a couple of top class clashes. So we'll come to that a little bit later on. Uh, but for now, I will say, uh, I'll leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Seb Stafford-Bloor and JJ Boulderblood. Okay, let us begin today's episode 
uh, with discussion. We will, we will come to Germany, which was in some cases the more interesting part of the day. But we're going to talk first about France uh, versus Portugal. It was France 2 to Portugal. Uh, and the first thing I wanted to say, JJ, interesting game to watch. Most interesting thing for me was from the beginning because both teams tweak their setups pretty rigidly in some cases. Lots in the midfield. Uh, Portugal had a two in previous games, moved to a three. France had a three, went the opposite way. Uh, Rabio out for Tolisso, we'll come to that. But let's start with Portugal dropping Bruno Fernandes because that felt like a, a very big decision, which actually, you have to say, paid off in the game. Well, I think the reason they did that is because these two teams have played each other in, over the last however long, maybe a year or so. Uh, and they've been... For one goal in the two games, it was a very scrappy N'Golo Kante goal, a prolific N'Golo Kante. I mean, you can't tell everything just from that, but you kind of can. It was very tight. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's very tight, very equal in the uh, in the games. And so I think they both expected a similar, a similar match pretty much because of where they were in the group, perhaps. Yeah. Either way. Well, no one was expecting Hungary to be leading in Munich for most of the evening, right? So I think Portugal and France probably both felt that they were safe going into the game. Probably. I don't think either of them didn't want to win or anything like that. Or they weren't just playing for a draw, but they want to be as safe as they can. Yeah. Minimise risk. Now, one of the things you get with Bruno Fernandes, as good a player as he is, <clears throat> he, uh, his pass completion rate, if we're going into that sort of stats, is not as high as certain other attacking midfielders because he tries a lot of things to make a lot of things happen. So he'll be quite low in games. He'll Say he'll finish with 85%. And it looks like, well, that's not good enough. He should be at 90 because that's what you want to have and complete your passes. But it's because he's trying to force through balls. He's trying to force yeah. players into space. Really valuable uh, for Manchester United, especially, and Portugal. But in this game, when you want to have control of the ball and the game because France are so dangerous in transition, you've got Mbappe, Griezmann, Benzema... Um, Hernandez, Pogba, Kante, all of them are quick and can get up the pitch really quickly. So that's where they can hurt you. Um, and that's what uh, France would look to do against Portugal because of what they've played. They're going to play in transition. They know if they sit deep against them, Portugal can do the same thing to them. They've got Diogo Jota, Bernardo Silva, Ronaldo, all that kind of pace up top that can exploit a single mistake. So you bring in Jaume Moutinho, who is fantastic in possession of the ball, and therefore you get greater control of the match. You don't lose the ball in silly areas because rather than force that through ball, he will wait the extra pass and look for the space before you get it in. Then Renato Sanchez comes in and I thought he was superb tonight. Yeah, he had a great game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's an article in The Athletic actually which was quite good about the rebuild of Sanchez. Uh, Jack uh, Lang wrote yeah. it, I think, yeah. Um, so obviously you might remember him from like Swansea and places like that where it didn't really go well for him and he's been at Bayern, I think, and yeah, didn't really work yeah. out there either. Uh, what I've read about him is that he tends to have been really good in training but can, can't really move that onto the onto the pitch. But I have seen him, his best games I've seen for him have been playing for Portugal. wonder why that is. He comes in, gives you energy across the midfield. Next to Moutinho, who's a little bit older now, so not as mobile. He's, he, no, he can still run. He's not, he's not like a fridge in the middle of the pitch or anything like that. Sure. He didn't but, come from the retirement home to play. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I think he's younger than I. Yeah. Uh, but then you've got Sanchez with energy there. You've got uh, Daniil just behind him, holding that six roll. Maybe you don't need Carvalho there. So you can um, have Sanchez rather than him there. It's a 4-1, kind of 4-1. And you get to break when you can against France, who you know are going to be waiting to do the similar thing to you. And France's changes, they brought in, uh, Tolisso came in, and they kind of played this 4-4-2, out of possession, like a 4-4-2. And the two forwards are Benzema and Griezmann, and you could say it's a 4-4-2, you could say it's a 4-4-1-1 or a 4-2-3-1. The numbers don't matter, because it's all about blocking the space out of possession, squashing it between the lines. And then, because Mbappe's playing wide left, 
Him, Benzema and Griezmann can break and attack as that kind of trident, but they'll, they'll move around a bit like how Leicester used to in a 4-4-2, yeah. but except it was Mahrez off the right. Then Tolisso can come in because he's a, a very uh, hard-working, box-to-box kind of defensive midfielder, midfielder. Um, not very used at Bayern, is he? No, not really. But I mean, I, when I have seen him, I've seen him play centrally. So this is a slightly different role for him tonight. It's kind of, I was interested to see like the adjustment that he made. Um, and it was... I don't know, it felt a little bit like he was a little bit more defensively orientated and they lacked a little bit of balance going forward. I don't know. No. Well, one, of the, one of the things I want to talk about is, can you imagine how strange that was for Bruno Fernandes? Like if you're you're central to Manchester United, you're used to being the, the, the player that everything goes through. You're an automatic selection and you're the player that everyone talks about ahead of big games, any kind of game. If Bruno Fernandes plays well, United win. If they don't, they may not lose or, or even draw, but they tend to play worse and you get dropped. That's going to be really alien. That's going to be. We, such we a... talked about this yesterday, didn't we? The idea that he is extremely central to United. The yeah. team is built around the way that he plays. And clearly that's not the case for Portugal for in a number of reasons. One of the reasons being that they're playing international football and there seems to be a, a bit more of an emphasis on slight, not negative, but slightly more conservative football. Ronaldo is obviously still the focal point of that team. And I think we've seen from the first two games, the, you know, the worst thing about Portugal, particularly in the first game, was that midfield double pivot of yeah. uh, Danilo and uh, Carvalho. We saw in both games as Renato Sanchez came on that that completely changed the way that Portugal were able to progress the ball, partly because of how well he can carry it forwards and how, you know, he feels like a very press-resistant player, right? Yeah. So I think the only way to get him in the team uh, or the person so far in the tournament that's shown to make the greatest difference or, or have the biggest impact on Portugal... The only way to do that is drop Fernandes, right? So it's, it's a, it, you know, kind of totally polar opposite. Yeah, it's difficult. Also, like, it's worth remembering why he came to Manchester United in the first place. He was, he was an answer to something. There was a kind of poverty of creativity and ideas and flair. And he was an answer to that, like, over yeah. time, one of many. Portugal aren't lacking any of those qualities, really. Like, their midfield um, so far in this tournament has, because it's been a little bit of a conservative selection. And we've talked about that in a few podcasts. But if you look at the sort of the, the attacking players available that doesn't lack sort of thrust or creativity. Also, or not every team needs a 10, right? <laughs> exactly. And so the dependency on, on a player like Bruno Fernandes is different team to team. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's a um, it's a really difficult choice because I, I completely agree. Like, to me, Sanchez has to play because without it, that midfield is very passive. He is a box-to-box player and, and he's, as, as you said, Joe, press resistant. He also seems to, I'd love to see the statistics actually, but he seems to be more active in the press itself and exert more pressure on the players um, on the defensive line and the team as they work, his opponent, as they work the ball out of defence. And that seems to be something that Portugal really lacked, especially against Germany. Um, Portugal had a lot of other problems against Germany, but one of them was that they, they were very passive. They didn't sort of, they didn't stop Germany doing anything that they wanted to do, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and Sanchez is not a one-man solution to that problem because um, Michael Cox wrote a fantastic article about this on The Athletic, on the plug, um, but it feels like a, a better solution. You know you solution. don't need to describe the plug as a plug. I right? feel like I want to make sure that you know people know, oh, that's a plug, oh, maybe, you know. I, don't, I didn't. When sell you get it on the bus, do you point at it and go, this is a bus when you're on? No, it's more like I am on the bus sure and then sit down and then he loves to narrate himself yeah loves the bus i like renato sanchez we've talked about this a lot we talked about it before the tournament and it just feels healthier like i 
it feels like less of a gap between Portugal's attacking parts and the rest of the team when he's on the pitch. I think that's yeah. the best way to put it. Like yeah. a kind of uh, a connecting piece, should we say. Okay, well, talking about uh, connecting pieces, someone who's often considered to be a connecting piece in both his club career and his uh, international career, Karen Benzema, star of the show in some ways today for France. I mean, you know, had a, had a good performance, right? Yeah, I mean, star of the show, maybe the referee a little bit. Okay, um, tell me more. <sighs> Mathieu Lahus has a reputation and it is as a kind of Spanish Mike Dean. And I think we saw why tonight. I, I we, we had a big old discussion in the office about the first penalty when um, Lloris uh, kind of inadvertently punched Danilo in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, that was bad. I can understand both sides of that discussion. You think it's a penalty. I don't on the basis that I've seen that happen so many times and a penalty not awarded. So I, I purely on precedent, I don't think it is. However, the second one, what is, what is the value of VAR if it's not to say, if it's not to kind of clip a referee's wings sometimes when he's making a decision which is to even up the game or it's just not a penalty. It's a it's an opportunity to give one. That's not the same thing as it actually being a penalty. And it annoys me. And we, we talked about this a couple of nights ago about referees who quite like the big occasion, quite like the big decision during the big occasion. And he does this. Like if you followed his career, he's he's a man for those moments. Uh, and it a direct me. attack shots fired I from just think it, I just think it's quite annoying it's like wow. it, because I when we got to the end of the first half it was sort of well that was the referee you know um, in the kind of the headlining spot with the warm up acts as two of the best nations in European football it's just don't do it JJ Bull pour, pour some uh, water on this fire water on the fire I think I mean when Daniel got punched in the face, I mean, that's clearly a penalty, though. But I, how many times have we seen it? And I, I agree with you. If, if I don't know if I've ever seen that before, by the way. Like, like I mean, the way that he got hit in the him, face. Yeah. I can't remember a time. I know people eh. joke in the comments that I, don't, I feel like I've not seen anything ever happen in football, but I don't remember a time where a goalkeeper has actually full-on, accidentally, of course, punched a player in the face. I feel like it's one of the... Um, clipping. I've seen clipping. It's one of the costs of that situation. It's something that can happen and you never want to see it happen and you want everyone to be okay. Of course you do. It's just that when a goalkeeper's making a punch and he gets a bit of the ball and um, a bit of the player, it seems more more often than not that the, the, the goalkeeper gets the benefit of the doubt. It just gets sort of dismissed as a footballing incident. Um, yeah, but I think we had this conversation earlier and my retort was that when a player goes in for a tackle and gets a bit of the ball and then like kicks someone in the face by accident. That's no, a foul. I, I, I understand. Uh, I mean, like it, it, you described it earlier as a sort of one of the risks of that, that sort of challenge. Like, yeah. Well, on yeah, that note, I mean, it's something I think dangerous, right? If you take like a bicycle kick or a scissor kick in the, in the area, you know there's someone right behind you and yeah. you go for a bicycle kick, you know you're going to probably smash them in the face unless they pull out of it. And the ones where... The ball is struck correctly and goes in the goal. Often the defender has pulled out of the header because they know they're going to get yeah. their head caved in yeah, yeah. if they if they go for it. So you think is that not dangerous play? It would be it, one of the best goals you ever see. But it yeah. completely is dangerous play, and I I'm not saying it shouldn't be a penalty. It should. It's just that it doesn't often get given. Yeah, it's like shirt pulling in the area. It's one of those things that everyone sees, and it just feels a little bit like it's a kind of an unwritten rule that. We don't give those. And King, I, King in the Indies in the chat says, you shouldn't be allowed to punch people in the face. <laughs> yeah. Very true. I feel very like that's true. more true. violent than pulling but a shirt. But football has allowed that in that situation. It's it's just a, it's unfortunate, but that's what's happened. That's what's been allowed to 
to be the precedent because referees have have ducked that kind of decision. And it's just I think I, 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 I think I think there's a confusion here on what constitutes a clear punch in the face because like clipping, sure. Players sort of accidentally getting in the way at the end of a of a, of a goalkeeper's punch. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. Uh this is a this is I mean he again, inadvertent, of course. He leathered him in the face. I mean, I'm I'm not sure I've seen that. I don't know if I... there is precedent. When's there been precedent for a goalkeeper full on punching someone in the face and not it not being a penalty. Well, when a goalkeeper comes to to make a punch, like there's typically contact in that area. If, if the ball's he, delivered, he's low enough to sure. Get... But like if you think about um, the uh, Higuain Neuer incident in the 2014 World Cup final, mm. um, when he comes over the back of him, makes his punch, and he doesn't make contact with his fist, but he makes contact with his head with his knee. And again, that's one of those things which is yeah. well, it was awful. It was a terrible. It could have been incredibly serious. Could have really badly hurt Gonzalo Higuain. But that was one of the situations the referee was like, oh, that just kind of happens and that's what a goalkeeper does. And so we can't, it's like- it Sure, feels- but, but he wasn't like, the difference here is that Lloris was punching at someone's head height. Like that yeah. normally what happens when a ball comes in and a goalkeeper punches it away is when it's over the head and they don't think they're going to catch it. He's le- he's stretching out forwards, punching where somebody's head is. Yeah. That, like, yeah. No, I, I think the rule for that should be that a goalkeeper shouldn't be allowed to punch a ball out if a player could get their head that high. But that's really difficult to police, though. Well, I mean, not, I, not in I this situation, because what happened of, was uh, he accidentally punched him in the face and then there was a penalty. It sounds like it's really easy to police. But then if, you, if, you, if you're saying like... A it's been policed, there was a penalty. But if, if a, like the, the situation JJ described earlier, where um, there's a, a bicycle kick in the box and a defender pulls out of the challenge because he doesn't want to get his head caved in, mm. do you have a situation there where a goalkeeper comes to make a clear punch and it's only a clear punch because the attacking player has thought, oh, I don't fancy that? It's going to stop back because you have to sort of, you bring things like intent and what a player might do if the goalkeeper wasn't in that situation. It becomes very vague very quickly. And so it's, it probably I just think any way really to avoid to someone punching someone in the face by accident. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I just, it's, it's a, it feels unusual. That's how I felt when I saw it. I think that's why there's very little precedent. Uh, I don't know. It, hap- it feels like it happens more than we think. Um, Is this... I mean, uh, we'll move on now, but you're <laughs> with we? me, right? You're with me, yeah? <laughs> I think Seb's lost it. <laughs> so Seb pun- might have done. He got Seb punched in the face. Anyway, uh, we can we can argue about uh, penalty decisions all day. That's a very TIFO thing for us to do. But let's uh, move on to uh, to discuss uh, the games that are coming up. I mean, we've got a lot to get through today, so we should pro- we'll probably move on quite quickly. Um, the very exciting one, JJ, is Portugal-Belgium. Oh, it'll be lovely. That will be lovely, won't it? Yeah, I would have thought so. Uh, Portugal were the team, I think, before the tournament, before I saw Italy play properly, uh, that I thought Portugal would be right there till the end. But um, yeah, Belgium's a very tough one. In terms of how they'll play, I think Portugal will go back to their traditional uh, defensive ways. It's a good team. It's what they do. So they have expanded a little bit. In qualifying and other sorts of games, so they have more attacking players and they are better than they were in 2016, is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Feels like a long time ago. Um, Feels yeah. like they're more talented than 2016, doesn't it? I, no, I don't know. I think they've got better players now. Like, they could definitely have a no, lot. that's what I mean. They're more yeah. talented than they were in 2016. Oh, yes. Like, yeah, it, just, it feels like they were kind of in... I, I don't remember anyone before that tournament started thinking, right, Portugal are going to win this because it seemed like that mm-hmm. was very much a Ronaldo and 10 others kind of, kind of side. It kind of affirmed a lot of 
the quality of some of those players because yeah. you didn't yeah, think absolutely. much of them. And so then you think, oh, wait, they, they can win a tournament. Hey, Renato Sanchez, that's when we first kind of really paid attention to him. He was absolutely brilliant. In that Ronaldo tournament. and Pepe. Yeah, Pepe, that's very, very true. Yeah, and Patricio, I think. Yeah, they had decent players. Yeah, um, yeah and so they do open up and they are more attacking at times under Santos because they have the ability to do it with the players they have, but they do it against weaker teams. And when you're playing against someone like Belgium, who's obviously one of the favourites and have good players too, uh, you'll want to play in a certain way. But then we've seen from Belgium, they play a high line and their defenders aren't particularly quick. There are ways mm. to get at them and get in behind them. Uh, they will have lots of the ball, but Portugal won't mind that. I think Diogo Jota, like even looking at um, the way France lined up with putting Tolisso at that right midfield bit, I wonder if that's specifically to help uh, the right back behind him, um, whose name's escaped me straight away. Because uh, Jota Kunde. plays... Kunde, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, He plays on the... Jota plays on the left, so you have to deal with that threat. But yeah, Jota's um, probably not underrated. He's probably somewhere about rated, but still slightly underrated. What am I talking just about? Rated. He says, just rated. He's rated. He's magic. Like, he's such a good player and yeah. makes things happen. I don't. I think he's got a, a, bit little of, bit, a little bit of a nothing game. What, today? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but then they're they're specifically putting players on him to try and mark him out of the game, keep sure. him quiet. Yeah. And then he may be tired because he's played two games in a row and the third he's got not mm. got much energy and he's all about being able to buzz, buzz around in I love space. his movement, Jota. Like the way he moves when... Like when it, when there's kind of a, a, there's a breakdown in the phase, the way he moves and the kind of the, the kind of the urgency in his football is just like a it's just a fun player to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just enjoyable, makes it makes games exciting. But it's like it, it felt tonight as if France came with a plan to nullify him specifically. Yeah, uh, which was interesting. And then Belgium, I mean, you, De Bruyne and Lukaku are playing very well just now for them. I'm not sure if they're on fire just at the moment, but the. Uh, They've been playing with that same group of players for a long time with the same manager, and that really helps, I think, knowing your like your system inside out and how you can adapt. I don't think Martinez would change anything from his normal 3-4-3 shape for this. And they'll they'll score. That's Belgium. the thing, right? Like Belgium yeah. will score, and so Portugal needs to score. I don't know if they will. Like I can't I, I honestly like watching De Bruyne and Lukaku in the last game, I don't see them not scoring against any team in the tournament. I think you just squish the space and just don't let them do anything and then it's De Bruyne. I know, but even the best players struggle against teams who sit deep. And then you've got players like Ronaldo and Jota going forward at the other end. I'll They'll look forward to your nil-nil prediction ahead of that one. <laughs> yeah. That'll be fun. Uh, let's also say France are playing Switzerland, Seb. Yeah, I can't see them not winning that. Um, just because I think France dominating in every area of the pitch there. Uh, midfield especially. Mm -hmm. I don't fancy Granite, Xhaka against Pogba, Kante and probably Rabiot. I think mm. France have the edge there. Um, also, they're just stronger in every area of the pitch. Sure. I, mean, I don't, we don't have to overcomplicate that. But yeah, France will love that draw. Okay. Uh, well, we will be back just after this. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We're back, and we're going to discuss uh, Germany too. 
too hungry. Uh, two goals conceded by... I mean, well, the first thing I suppose we should say is that this was a weird game, wasn't it? We had it on on the second monitor and we were started to pay a lot more attention to it after about the 60-minute mark. After we realised we hadn't paid any attention to yeah, it. Yeah, after we, realized we hadn't seen the first <laughs> half and somehow uh, we saw the uh, German equaliser and then Hungary's second goal uh, just moments later. Uh, but for most of the evening, it looked as though Hungary were going to progress and uh, Germany... Surprisingly, after looking in some in some ways like the most exciting team in the group at times, uh, we're going out. Of course, that hasn't happened. Germany go through second uh, to face England in the next round, so we'll come on to talk about that shortly. Uh, but, Seb, you've written here that uh, the two goals that Germany conceded, very typical of their issues uh, in, in, in recent times. That gives me hope as an England fan. Yeah, well, it should do. If you, if you look back at the kinds of goal Germany conceded over the last couple of years... There are some very familiar themes, and these repeated tonight. the The first one was a really excellent header, like a you don't see that goal very often now. The really, you know, the strong thumping header, but probably shouldn't be getting between two markers there. And the second was like mentally, it's a, an error because it comes right after the kickoff, after the equalizer. Old cliche about that, but also there's just that that element of chaos that you you look at. And if you hadn't watched Germany since about. I don't know, 2016, you'd think, well, that's not very German, is it? That's very weird. That's kind mm. of a, an England goal to concede. But this is this is the price of a lack of continuity. It's a lack of chemistry between those defensive parts. Um, and it's a problem that Jürgen Love has never cured. He's brought back Mats Hummels to make it slightly better. Mm. And he's moved Joshua Kimmich around to, to kind of compensate for what isn't there at fullback. But it's still not convincing. Yeah. You get it, Germany. And what, what's the, been the difference in this tournament is they played really well going forward. Yeah. Um, and their 3-4-3 worked like a dream against uh, against Portugal. But I felt like um, the more attention we paid to this, the more obvious it became that Hungary had really studied that Portugal game. Um, I was looking at the touch map at full time. Yeah. And you can see that Germany never get into the positions. Obviously, the Portugal game was all about overlaps and spare men and getting to the byline and having really good crossing opportunities. That didn't exist tonight. Um, in fact, um, sorry, Germany very rarely got beyond the edge of the penalty box, and that was kind of well done, Hungary. They stacked those um, stacked that area pretty well and, and blocked it up very, very nicely. Sure. Okay. That's one of the reasons I thought <coughs> I said it. I think in the group of death preview <laughs> uh, that Hungary would be able to do some damage to Germany. I based that on having watched Germany playing against North Macedonia when they lost two one. Same system, five three two. I mean, I know other teams are all sort of different. They do it in different ways. It's exactly the same. Five, three, two. Sure. Um, you block the back, you squeeze the space, you get everyone back, and then you try and hit them in transition. And they did. And they managed to get those wins. Um, Germany, like Seb was saying, they're uh, vulnerable to certain types of goals. But you can see in their team, like, there's no power or like aggression in it. You need more, uh, just more about them. When they put Gretzky on for Gundogan, yeah. straight away, it's not just because he's tall and strong. He just is quite uh, busy. Gretzka, he's amongst sure. it. He's Powerful. also, mm -hmm. Gretzka's clever. Like you, you notice him for his size and because of like how imposing he is in the midfield. But if you look at his goals and you look at the chances that he has, it's typically because of movement. So the German equaliser, um, it's not really a move that's come off. It's a lucky series of bounces. It takes about three deflections, which take four Hungarian defenders out of the game and there like reliably is Goretzka in the perfect yeah. position to steer at home and that the, the, the prize for sustained pressure right just being able to anticipate what's happening absolutely like your reward for 
making an opponent crack a little bit mm-hmm. um, and a little bit of good fortune. But there's nothing fortunate about Gretzka being there because he does that a lot and he mm-hmm. finishes really well when he's in that position. And you can kind of, with him, you, you fall into the trap sometimes of thinking he's like, he's a unit, isn't he? He's a vending machine. He's a clogger, mm. really good footballer. <clears throat> he's uh, a clogger. Yeah, but that's kind of, you see him and like you see the size of his upper body and that stuff and and you can miss his technique and just how good a finisher he can be sometimes. So, and that sure. was kind of what got, got Germany out of jail tonight. And then up top of Germany, you've got Sané and Gnabry who need space in behind to be useful. Yeah. There's none of that against this team. Sané... Bit of a chance for him to show his worth this evening, right, Sané? Yeah, it's, it's funny. There's a, a bit of a there's a bit of negativity around him in Germany. Like, he didn't have the best first season with Bayern Munich. Obviously cost a lot of money. And I, I think one of the problems with him is he is so, obviously, so very talented. Mm. And, so, and there's, you know, quite often... It's very similar to, like, JJ and I were talking about Kingsley Coman during the game it's quite similar because you see what he could be. And actually, um, because we saw him so much in the Premier League, we've seen what he can be. He's brilliant. Mm-hmm. He's a fantastic player. Just hasn't quite done it for, for Bayern Munich. Hasn't quite done it for Germany either yet. And I feel like he's the sort of player that would really benefit from being at a different team, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe. I, I, I don't know. I think I think Bayern is a, is a good stage for him. I, I can see him doing well. It's just that he doesn't, with him, he, he sort of he doesn't always make the right decisions when he gets up to the edge of the penalty box. There's something about Bayern's system which doesn't quite work for him in the way that it did at his best at Man City. I'm not smart enough to know what that is. It's just, oh, Sane. I, I sorry, I was I was uh, talking about the other player, Gretzka. Yeah, no, um, Komen. Uh, yeah, Komen. I was talking about Kingsley Komen being a different team. Yeah, I, I I think so. I think he's he's one of those players that sort of um, he needs a stable position. He also needs to be somewhere where a manager just thinks you are in my starting 11 every single week i think that benefits yeah. him um whether good he at, would get everton i think probably high like I, I think you could put him at somewhere like arsenal i think he'd do very well yeah yeah, yeah. I, I know everton finished yeah but like it's a i don't know i, I think there's a really good player there like I, I always go back to do you remember that game in the champions league between Bayern and juventus when juve went two up and quadrado scored that that lovely goal on the counter when he kind of sidefoot it into the top corner. And Bayern came back to win it and it was all about Komen. Came on, I think, after about an hour. It was just, he was unplayable. And that's a horrible little word, but he was just great. Absolutely fantastic. One of those kind of old-fashioned moments where anytime you got the ball, everyone was excited and you could sense something was going to happen. And I think maybe maybe I've kind of grown a bias as a result of that game because I've always thought that that is the true Kingsley Komen. Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. But um, it was, um, yeah... It's his career just feels quite disappointing. Well, this Germany team are going to play England in the round of 16. That feels like an instant classic. I hope so. Uh, I know that you will be entirely unbiased when you tell me what you think about that game, JJ. So please, please go ahead. Well, one of the things Germany are going to have to do to beat England is uh, pass the ball quicker than they did against um, Hungary today. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that you'll... Uh, when I looked at Germany before this tournament is that they were too slow. Their tempo was too slow. They can control games against good teams, I think. So they control the game against England, but they struggle to break down teams who sit deep, which might be what England do. So it's kind of hard to work out what, what's going to go on here. I think Germany will be, how do I say this, like not smarter than England, but maybe a bit more cunning. And I think um, if they're playing a 3-4-3, you'd, you'd think Southgate would want to try and match that up so you've, you can just have man for man across the pitch, just try and... I don't. I can't see how that four-two-three-one will really work against them. I, I, the weaknesses are going to be that 
they've got they're not very fast in behind a high defensive line. So again, your players like Sterling and um, the other fast lads that England have, Foden, plenty of them. Yeah, Foden. Yeah, I love yeah. Foden. All those boys can get in behind quite easily. Uh, I think Germany win the midfield battle easily out of the, what England have. Um, whether in a two or three, I think Kroos and Gundogan just have that nailed down. So then you want to try and play around them and in transition, and you play wide and then whoever's left has got to deal with Kimmich. If he plays in that right, can look after that. I think Germany will be able to fall back. But I, I, think, yeah, I think Germany will be really good in that game, maybe. I think, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've run myself into a little... No, no, I think, I think the idea of matching them up is really interesting. So, I mean, we've, we've talked about that a lot before. JJ's mentioned it a couple of times. Alex has mentioned it in the past as a sensible thing to do against a team that are playing the way that Germany are playing. Do you think it'll happen? Because it didn't against Scotland. Yeah, well, that's why, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I would have thought Southgate will aim his midfield towards stopping Tony Kroos, which feels like one of those conservative decisions again. Um, we're still... Um, unsure as to whether Mason Mount is going to be able to play. I think technically, unless I'm I think he's allowed repeating to play, something, but whether he's well, this, able yeah. and ready to play. Well, unless I'm repeating something that I've heard that's inaccurate, his isolation ends the day before On the, Monday, the next game. So he would, if he's been doing enough training, he'll play. I think he'll play, I think he'll play because I think Southgate will use him to pressure Kroos all the way through the game. But see, they do that. What Germany will do, and they do this a lot, I mean, you'll know this, is that Kroos will just drop into one of the ah, centre-back yeah. positions as they move up or into the wing-back sort of role. He just drops into wherever the space is. But like how Modric did against Scotland um, in that game, just is always able to find space. And then if England are trying to push that way, they have to have a high line to be able to push up yep. as a unit, which then leaves space in behind. For the fast lads, you've got Sani, Gnabry. I don't think Sani will play, but Gnabry, Werner maybe might come in. What a way for Werner to earn himself some redemption by getting in behind the England line and scoring the winner. Yeah, it feels like uh, Luis Suarez yeah. in 2014, something like that. I, yeah. this is, well, this is my worry, that, that England pick a team that never really explores Germany's weaknesses because you're not playing Germany as in um, world-class and number one ranked side. You're, yeah. you're, you're facing a side that's very much in a state of transition that's weak, that's vulnerable, that doesn't have a lot of confidence. So if it's me, yeah. I, I'd like to see something as aggressive as last night, which yeah. is that... Like I think they'll thrash him. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I really do. I, I think they'll. I think they'll. I think they'll win. You reckon? I think yeah. it's got. Um, if Southgate approaches it the way he has done, he bold. He bold. Yeah. If, if he if he does if he's not bold and he sort of tries to be tactically clever and do what the safe not not in safe sounds so negative like just the sensible tactician's way of playing like new uh, like get rid of the opponent's strengths play to your um, your own strengths it'll end up being a draw and they go out in penalties. But that's probably what is, I mean, based on what always happens to England, I'm not just saying this because I'm trying I to mean, wind you up or anything. No, no, but like, I don't know. I think, I think that specific bit of analysis, JJ Buller Bullard is, uh, is outdated after 2018. England are really good at penalties now. If they went to penalties, I'd be confident that they would win. I, I mean, I don't on, know that that's the basis of one thing. tournament. <laughs> yeah. Really, on the basis of the way that they took the penalties in those in those uh, in the in the in the game against Colombia, Colombia, uh, on the basis of the the number of incredible attacking players that they have in their team, uh, I, I mean, I don't think it would even necessarily get to penalties. I have total confidence that England can score goals against this Germany team. I think they've defended pretty badly at times mm. in this tournament. They've looked exciting and incisive going forwards, and that's why I think it will be a fun game. I'll say again for the third day in a row, England haven't conceded a goal yet. Germany struggled to score against Hungary this evening. 
I, uh, I don't see any reason why why an England fan can't I, be confident ahead of this game. I know it's I know it's Germany. Confidence is fine. I just think there's Germany not to be underestimated. Germany not are, underestimating them. I'm I just mean estimating the them. You're estimating, I'm I, estimating them. I, I just think also estimating. I'm just trying to balance out JJ's negativity. It makes me really kind of, want to really really well. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of if that German forward line gels together, which is capable to like I. Some of the some of the players that England will use to match up. So some of the if Tyrone Mings plays in the centre of defence, uh, that would worry me a little bit just because he isn't the most mobile. I think Mings is a good player. It's just you'd, you'd want to have probably Maguire and Stones if Maguire can play again so quickly after recovering from injury. Uh, that's just there is a lot of attacking power in that German side still. Can I address the chat? Can I address the chat? You can because there are two people here. One of whom has said. Uh, it's arrogant that the way England fans talk about England. Someone else has, has said that that English overconfidence. I think it's a complete misunderstanding of like the modern uh, England fan character in in many cases. Like England fans are dab about their team. They always expect to lose. It's that what you're yeah, saying but- is the complete opposite of how almost everyone I know expects to happen ahead of of an England game. Confidence is something you don't find this very often. And as I said, I'm doing it to balance out what he said over there before. But it, because there was some negative. There. I think the world's reaction isn't really based on like individual fans. It's based on things like the front page the Sun ran when um, discussing the Scotland team, when it was sort of making fun of like the players they'd never heard of. And mm. it just, that's the kind of public face yeah, of England that, fans. That's it's not fair. public face, but it's not reflective at all of, of like the vast I, I agree. majority that's of England fans. That's not how I feel, it's not how you feel. Every, everyone I know who supports England at a tournament like this, very very list, like, actually. most people just expect to yeah. lose every game. And then when, yeah. then when we do lose a game, it's all, oh, we knew that was going to happen and everyone's upset. You, you go to any pub around here, any pub around here, and what happens is you meet loads of other people who everyone says to each other, we're going to lose that one, aren't we? I know we're going to lose that one. You're going to win 5-0. He's going to smash <laughs> Germany. You <laughs> said that. This is, no, this is what I'm saying. This is why I'm trying to be confident about it. I haven't seen it. these people to, before. To change the, uh, change the way I feel. Uh, everybody I spoke to ahead of the Croatia game, including myself, we said... Oh, we're going to lose that game, aren't we? This is, you know, like it's always Croatia. They're a big yeah. team, and it. That's, everyone I knew thought thought we were going to lose that game. And when we won that game, I made a little promise to myself positive. to be confident about it and be positive about it, and think when we play a team like Germany, we have, we can we can win the game. We can win the game. I'm not trying to be overconfident, I think, I think, and I'm I'm joking and 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 you know being a bit of a jester about it. But uh, I do think there are, there's certainly an opportunity to, w- to win the game. It's, it's, it's far from a foregone, foregone conclusion, you would agree. Yeah, as, as England are a good team and they have great players. And I like the players because I talk about them all of the time and watch them on the TV. So I hope the lads do well. I'm all for it. My mum and dad are English. I, I, think, I, I think there's always... I wasn't problem. pointing that at you, by the way. I think for, like... I think Joe's right in the sense that most English England fans are really fatalistic. That's how I feel. Like I see embarrassment, humiliation around every corner against every opponent. We got to about 60 minutes in the Scotland game and I thought I'll take the goalless draw because that's better. And that's just, that's how I've been trained to think as a football fan. Yeah. There is this thing though, whereby when, when Southgate came to the job and when people started not necessarily believing that the English national team was on the road to dominating world football again, but they started to like it again. They started to kind of move away from that. Oh my God, golden it's, generation it's again! Amazing. It's an amazing. It's, it's feeling. a fun feeling to actually. To in win. comparison to what it was, it was so bad and so disenfranchising that I think what happened is people people got overexcited, but people are entitled to because it's a national team and they like a lot to of love players. Again. Joe learned to love again, and I think it becomes a sort of. I think there's a little bit of willful denial 
yeah. where people go, oh, that's just English arrogance. I think there is a lot of English arrogance. I think sure. people in the country are, it's out there. are kind of predisposed to being quite obnoxious sometimes. Mm. But I think generally people just, they like the football and they like being invested and they like the players and there are a lot of likable characters on that side. And I think, I think that spills over and I think, you know, it's... The, 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 saying yeah. England are going to thrash Germany is obviously stupid. Obviously a stupid thing that only a stupid man would say. And that's me, right? But what I'm doing is I'm putting my heart out there and I'm saying, break it, it's fine. I'm willing to have it broken. That's all. And speaking of breaks, we're going to go for one now and then we'll be back after that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're back. And we're going to talk about uh, Slovakia and Spain. Well, we're not going to talk about Slovakia, really. But we're going to talk about Spain. Because they scored five goals, JJ. Yeah, and the first one was one of my favorite goals of the tournament. Poor Martin Dubravka punching into his own oh, net. No, that was hard. Poor boy. Oh, no. So, I mean, one side, I feel sorry for him. Other other side, it's really funny. And uh, yeah, it looks like a computer game glitch going wrong. You're like, why is, yeah. that, why is it punch into own net? The game's against me. We had to go closer to the TV after we saw it because we yeah. both looked at each other and was like, did that, was that... Weirdly, oh. when it dropped, I sort of thought he was going to do it as well. Maybe I sort of Yuri Gellerd him to do it. I'm sorry if I did. But um, yeah, Spain, I thought Spain were a lot. So I think you said during the game, Joe, that it didn't seem like Spain because they'd scored like an own goal and a penalty or something like that. I said that at 2-0 and yeah. I regretted that because afterwards <laughs> they scored three really nice, really, really nice goals. But the point I was making was based on uh, my experience of watching them so far in the tournament, what they've struggled to do is, is finish chances. And I feel like those final three goals of the five emphatically sort of blew that away. It's hard to say whether that is just within the, the sort of specific scenario of the game mm-hmm. or whether that's Spain kind of firing on all cylinders now. What do you think? Well, I thought they were excellent from the start because they played with the kind of tempo and aggression and energy that they lacked in other games. To play that kind of possession football, like we're talking about Germany, too slow, to me, two, three touches, they need to be one and two. And Spain tonight were taking one and two touches, running at people, uh, causing problems and then pressing immediately afterwards so they so Slovakia just couldn't get out and that forces errors because you have to rush and after you have a sustained period of pressure dealing with that uh, the UFO stuff comes out soon it's happening um, it already came out uh, did it? yeah oh. Craig said yeah, okay I'll read that later yeah <laughs> you were so excited well. uh, yeah after sustained periods of pressure uh you just want to get rid of the ball. Like you want to try and play out from the back and you have to you end up just shelling it just to get out so you can reset. But because Spain are pushed so high, they keep coming at you and that's when these sort of errors creep in. And then I think when you, once you know like you're in real trouble with a third, you maybe just fall apart a little bit. And yeah. Some of the goals were just 
so good. I think, who was the, the back heel flick? Was that Ferran Torres? That was Ferran Torres. I think it was his first touch on the pitch. And that's to have to replace the Morata, who offered not an awful lot again. But Torres, I really like Torres. I still can't quite figure out what his position is. I, I, he's, he's somewhere between a wide forward and a nine. Yeah. He's in that kind of gap that doesn't really have a proper definition. It's like a really fast false nine, but it's, you don't really get. It's funny because every, every time I've seen Spain between tournaments, it's the last tournament, um, last couple of years, when they do something good, he tends to be involved in it. Like in that um, in that six uh, 0 over Germany, it's absolutely fantastic. He's got no. It's what it is? It's because he's got no, like, um, presence. He doesn't look like yeah. an amazing footballer. He's not um, not used to buying him on FIFA or anything yeah. like that, or football yeah. manager. It's the kind of thing that some people, like Harry Kane's a star, Ronaldo's a star, and they've got that thing attached to them. But Torres doesn't yet. He also kind of exists outside the classico bubble as well, and he sort of. Mm-hmm comes from I mean Valencia a really big club but at the same time it's 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 quite sort of he's not um he's not where you would point your kind of defensive resources if you're playing against them he, and maybe, he also he shares the name of a legend and I know that's a you know slightly less important maybe. than all the things that you've said before but it's difficult to eclipse the name of a legend maybe maybe and this might be also where uh this might be where that sort of um non-specific position becomes um a strength I no idea from a coaching perspective but if you if you don't have if a player doesn't have a kind of a, a clear purpose or a clear role it's just kind of utility attacking player on the right side mm. it must be very difficult to defend against yeah. i'm guessing i haven't absolutely no idea it just well, seems like it might be especially with rotations because yeah. the defenders yeah. aren't sure exactly who's gonna uh, they're gonna be up against and then you forget which way you need to put them and well if he's there where's the other guy and you know everything you just have to second guess if you're yeah. defending zonally which most people would be in this sort of situation, of course, if you're against someone running at you, you always are. You're just trying to mark the space. Yeah, it's going to be really difficult to to deal with. Very useful for a manager as well. It means he's always going to be in squads. It's that other cliche that if you don't have a nailed down mm-hmm. position, where do you end up playing? And you end up being a utility player rather than a forward. But it could just be his age. You don't really think of him as a Man City, like an important Man City player. No. He's played some big games for them. Yeah. And done very well. Yeah. Yeah. Another player that you mentioned during the game and has been mentioned here in the chat by uh, Jake 99 who says uh, Pedri is the player English fans think Foden is. Foden's one of the best junk players in the entire world. I think he might even... Unfair to Foden, but nice for Pedri. (laughs) Um, I love Pedri. If you've not seen Pedri yet, uh, how do you explain him? He's kind of like a... He plays an eight for Spain on the left side of the midfield three. Does the same thing for Barcelona. Um... He, he plays a little bit like the Iniesta role used to like advance. So he'd be the advanced playmaker, basically. He can play off the left wing and come onto his right foot. Uh, I think he can play on the right as well, actually. He can play as a 10. He's just a really very talented footballer. Incredible technique, great vision. There was a pass he played. It was the reverse ball into Jordi Alba that set up an almost goal that he yeah. pinged across six yards. That was very Iniesta. That that is, is stunning. Like, yeah. That's the yeah, kind of yeah. thing you cannot teach that. You can't coach that into someone. That's something he just sees the space where the players are going to go and he probably even knew he was making that run before he turned because I think he takes it on the half turn and then just plays it. So it's a reverse pass, cuts them open. That's the kind of player that Spain needs to be able to play the possession football that they want to because you can mix up your tempo, he can fire these balls in. Uh, yeah, he's fantastic. But um, Foden is properly next level. Like He is mm. in the top tier, I would say. I like that tier. That's my favourite tier. Me too. Uh, Spain-Croatia, lots of nice players in that game, wouldn't there be? 
Uh, obviously, Modric, I mean, he ran the game for Croatia against Scotland. And I, uh, I can't remember much of what he did in other games, but I assume he probably did the same thing. Mm. And now I'm just thinking about that game again. <laughs> well, in which case, Seb, what do you think about that one coming up? I don't know what's the true Spain yet. Like, mm. I, I feel as if Spain today were given a little bit of a leg up by Martin Dubravka, which, by the way, on that, I have a little bit of sympathy for him. I mean, because you're, it's still a terrible mistake, don't get me wrong, but he's uh, underneath his own crossbar, spinning ball. It's harder to do that than it looks. And it don't, you know, it's, it doesn't excuse what happened. Clearly, he should push it over um, and out for a corner. You'd prefer it if he punched someone in the face, wouldn't you? Absolutely. That's Absolutely. what you want. As long as he got a little bit of the ball first. Yeah. And then the ball went out and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's I, who he is now. I also, like, I, um, I met uh, someone who I went to school with a really long time ago. And it'd been about 10 between leaving and me seeing him again. And when he was at school, he made a terrible goalkeeping error, which about 300 people, which is a lot in school terms, mm -hmm. had seen him do. Like he, mm -hmm. there was a, a sort of a looping cross that came in um, and he thought it was going over the bar. And so he kind of comes running out to, towards his, the edge of a six yard box, leaves it in that kind of slightly elaborate demonstrative way that goalkeepers do the kind of, and it just dropped painfully over the line. Didn't even hit the net. It just dropped about a foot over the line, and just bounced there. And it was completely humiliating for him. And I saw him and we got to talking about, we were playing like um, old boys football and um, he brought it up. It had been a probably, yeah, about a decade and it was still a really raw memory for him. And so, and that's a schoolboy level. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It's just amateur, you know, awful football. Can you imagine ha that happening to you? Mm -hmm. Like, is there going to be another, is there going to be a day in Martin Dubravka's life where he doesn't think about that? It won't be a painful memory forever, but every time you that's going to be him. That's part of his identity. I just, I feel so sorry for people that that happens to. I think he might get saved by having let in another four after that. So that Yeah, sort but the second one was kind of his fault of too, JJ, as well. And it's it's like, a, it's got to be the most horrible feeling to 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 know that you, first of all, you kind of, you open the, the floodgates on your own team and ultimately goal difference kind of costs Slovakia of their place in the next round. But also that you have become associated with something which lived forever on YouTube. It's awful. I just want to give him a hug after that happened. But then the other thing, another good benefit to it, I'll try and balance this out. I'll play this game, Joe. Mm. When, uh, the balancing game. There's so many different uh, videos of all these. I mean, that um, is it, uh, Hawaiian goalkeeper that was doing the rounds. Oh, my goodness. That's another example oh, of a video that no, everyone's no, seen. No, no. Oh, it's I'll just... disappear. There's heaps of these. There's oh. so many videos now that they all turn and turn into one. There's just, they're everywhere and they're, That's they're on your true. WhatsApp for about a day and a half and then mm. they've gone away and then one of your uncles will send you it again about up two months later when they get yeah. it for the first time. Yeah. That, that Good balancing. Yeah. That hurt, that. So that's it. And also Slovakia fall, fell apart and I think the, yeah. I mean, I can't speak for the nation of Slovakia. Far be it for me to do that. Have a go. Um, I think <laughs> they'll remember their whole team collapsing in that way, that yeah. horrible way that you can't really prevent and you can see it happen in front of you. You can't stop it. The players were there. They just couldn't stop it happening. Yeah. Dubravka's Sort, I mean, he puts it into his own net, which made it difficult because the thing with once Spain then have the lead, it means the Slack you have to open up to come into them. And that's when you start getting the space occasionally that lets Spain in. So it's a mistake that it kind of opens it up. But it's, uh, yeah, I think the nation of Slovakia should not uh, hold Dubravka to that because the whole team really. The, that Haitian goalkeeper, I, I haven't cringed, I, I cringed so hard, like I, I felt like maybe my spine would snap. It was just excruciating <laughs> to watch. It was, I, yeah. I, I can't even, 
most got, like we can make a, a defense for Martin Bravka and you can say, well, it's quite hard, the ball's spinning and there's a bit of sunshine in his eyes. And I, I still can't understand what the Haitian goalkeeper was trying to do. I don't, like I haven't heard a sort of a rational explanation for how that could happen. It's just, I feel so sorry for him. It's awful. I haven't seen it. So, so <laughs> don't know what's happening. Hey, let's, I tell let's you, you when you uh, might see it. So, no, you know, no, 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 because this will be a good plug, you know, because maybe, uh, you know, after when we go to the Old Red Lion Theatre Pub in Islington for our sort of yeah. final pod after Don't party. tell them where I'm going to be. No, well, you know, the door's locked there. I'm the... Um, there was a guy that true. turned up this morning outside and, and sort of wanted me to go for breakfast with him. So you're going to be in on this <laughs> Oh too. my God, are you serious? <laughs> no, he Twitter. just took a picture. He was joking. That guy's, no, I've met that guy, he's a nice guy. He oh, came to the uh, TIFO quiz. That's good. He did, yeah. though. Yeah send a picture to me on Twitter of him outside the place where I was sleeping asking me if I wanted the to go. public to house you were living above, yeah, 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 on the main road. He seems like a very in, nice guy. In the capital Lovely. city of the yeah. A new friend. Country. A new friend. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. A break. The Old Red Lion, the best place to watch, this isn't an ad, the best place to watch football in London. If you go there, go and ask for Uncle Damien. He'll tell you stories about Harlow Essex in the 60s and how he remembers... The World Cup final. There was no one on the streets, says Uncle Damien. Everyone was watching the big game. Go and talk to him. It's, it's more fun than it sounds. And there's tellies everywhere for the football. And in the garden. Come on. It doesn't get the better TVs than a telly in the, the, the garden. Line are brilliant. Two big screens. Brilliant there's a theatre that you can book out to watch big football. There's a great the big, dog. The great I dog. Like. Don't feed the dog. Don't, don't feed, feed the Uncle dog. Damien. Don't feed the dog. Definitely don't feed Uncle Damien. Because, you, you know, that man... Ooh. Uh, right, <laughs> Sweden are through. 3-2. Three, three, Sweden, 3-2, three, Poland. Uh, the notes say, did we watch this? No. But we saw some of the goals. <laughs> it was on in the background. We were watching the other game. Uh, Dejan Kulievski, uh, you know, nice assists. Uh, Emil Fushberg, a couple of nice goals. Lovely, lovely stuff. Uh, but the main thing uh, we wanted to say here is that they're going to play Ukraine. Yes, they Sounds are. like the most fun... Hey, game re- of the you pre- round of sixteen re- reprieve from Ukraine. So also, and, and let's be fair, Sweden are you know they're a veteran tournament side. They're always a bit stubborn. They always manage to kind of progress and have decent results. There is no need for they a, know how it works. They do no need for a Ukrainian inferiority complex. So um, let's see the better side of Ukraine this time. I think because they were pretty disappointing. Yeah, um, in the group stage. So um, this is yeah, an opportunity. They've been reprieve. given an opportunity. Yeah. So hopefully we see a little bit more of Malinowski, who um, is one of my favourite players at the tournament. And uh, yeah, Yuremchuk. There we that's go. another player. That's not like a new phrase yeah. I've picked up. No, I know. I, I was know. hoping it was I'm a phrase. With but, yeah. I'm with you. Yuremchuk. We've been like running it. for a long time now, I think. I think it's because we messed up the intro so many times. Yeah. It was a real slow burn to get into this one. But there we go. Very exciting. We now know uh, that the, uh, the, the fixtures... The, the round of 16 are very exciting, says the chat. England, Germany, Portugal, Belgium. You can't ask for more than that this early in the knockout stages. That is, that, that's top dog, isn't it? That is top dog as far as round of 16 fixes go. I'm excited to come back here on Saturday. I don't know what which game the first one is, but uh, it's going to be fun. It's, I think the first one is Wales, Denmark, I think. I think. <clears throat> oh yeah, that's going to be fun be too. Game, two really evenly matched yeah. teams. I'm excited, loads of jeopardy. Loads of, je- it's all jeopardy from here on out. Are we doing predictions tonight? Are we going to delay um, that? No, let's not do predictions. We'll, we'll do those privately uh, <laughs> before we uh, before we record the next, before the game, the next games. But I will tell you now 
points, points are bad. bad. And I have many points. I, I, I earned many points. Not as many as Seb, though. Seb points, earned many points today. Points You're still in front of me in the points are bad game. I'll give you that. But there were eight points separated us yesterday and only three separate us now. Really? I, I gained five today. Yeah. Do you know why? Was it? Because my 2-2 wasn't so stupid after all, hey, was it? bang on. It really bang wasn't. on. 2-2. Two, two. I know what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, JJ, you had a bad day. Yeah. You did have a bad day. I had a bad day. Alex had a pretty good day. Did he? He got a correct score as well. I think I think he predicted something accurately. I can't remember which one it was. It might have been one of the games that happened. Who knows? Uh, but uh, Alex is currently leading on 68 points. JJ, second place, 73. You've got five oh. points to make up now. There's plenty of games left. Plenty of games left to do that in. And Alex has definitely got a slip up in him. So we'll we'll wait and, and pray for that. Uh, JJ, 73. 79, Seb. You've widened the gap quite dramatically to JJ there. Six six points and, of course, uh, 11 behind Alex there. He'll be loving that, rubbing his hands at home, giggling and cackling like he does. Points are so bad. And uh, points are very, very bad for me because I've got 82. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, what can you do? There were many games today. And it was difficult to know what was going to happen because no one does. No one does. Anyway... That's the end of today's episode. What a big day. Final day of the group stages. Woo-woo! A couple of days off for us now. It's going to be real nice. And uh, going uh, to head to the old Red Lion, have a drink, and celebrate, um, do you know, celebrate... Not being here. Yeah, not being here for a couple of days. <laughs> real fun. JJ Bull the Bullet, thank you to you. Ah, uh, yeah. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, man. Uh, Seb Stafford Bloor, thanking, thanking you also. Thank you, Joe Devine. Uh, Philippe Fenner, uh, TIFO illustrator extraordinaire in the background. Thanks for joining us this evening. And your beloved France did not lose. Well done. There we go. And of course, thanks as usual to our crack team in the production wing of uh, Don and Craig. And there's Don's little hands there making a violent gesture. Still lovely, though. There they go. There they go. All right. To all of the people uh, watching, thanks for being with us during the group stages. It's been a, a pleasure to uh, broadcast to all of you. Absolutely. Everyone's been very nice. Everyone's been very nice. Yeah, yeah very nice. Very few comments have needed removing or moderating, so that's lovely, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> especially because the internet's such a horrible place a lot of the time. Uh, but uh, thanks to all the TPOs, and uh, we'll be back not tomorrow, not the next day, but on Saturday to start the round of 16 and to give you all the coverage that you deserve. It's coming home. <laughs>